Halt! I see something up ahead. Uh, it looks like the Abyssal Demon. Uh, looks like darkness to me. Baldrick, everything looks like darkness to you. Get your eyes checked. Silence! Go scout ahead. Silence. Easy to... Oh, never mind. Onward! Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I'm joined by Greg. Hello. And we will be talking about massive darkness. But before we delve into that, let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, so uh, you may have seen on our Instagram, Mm -hmm. I took some pictures of an adorable game called Root. Yep. uh, Which we have been playing a couple of games of recently. We played one with just some of the base game factions, and then we played another one with both of the expansion factions a riverfolk company yeah and the lizard cult yep and it's really really fun mm-hmm. uh kathleen who owns the local game shop has apparently compared it to what did she say uh a cute font, coin game a cute coin game which i think is a, a perfect comparison yeah it's you know you've got asymmetric gameplay each faction is working on their own goals some mm-hmm. of which will align sometimes with other factions so you yeah. have sort of these temporary shifting alliances that form mm-hmm but also it's adorable little woodland creatures yeah i mean the art is fantastic i was playing trading otters that tried to coerce the uh marquise the cat into trade yeah just you know but the the little wooden pieces with Mm -hmm. their little like like otter faces with yeah like it's it's just fantastic on top Mm -hmm. of that i think gameplay is really solid Mm -hmm. each of the factions feels very unique you know you've Mm -hmm. got sort of the guerrilla woodland alliance who are going to yeah. pop up here and there and then disappear just as quickly mm-hmm. you've got the the river folk company who are much more mercantile they're less incentivized to do direct attacks mm-hmm. you've got the eerie who are very hidebound the way that you construct the actions that you take each round is very rigid and orderly but also mm-hmm. restrictive so it's definitely a well-crafted game Mm-hmm. Uh, and I look forward to sort of trying to play more of the factions and get a sense for which one I really like. Yeah, I think certain of the factions also definitely depend on who you're playing with. Because like the Riverfolk Company really didn't work in our game very well. Mostly because none of the three other players actually wanted to trade with me for the most part. Right. Yeah. Can't uh, can't get rich if nobody wants to buy your stuff. Exactly. And there's like there's no other really mechanic for me to do anything really couldn't craft items i couldn't do anything like that until i had trading posts out there and that required me to actually have someone trade with me right and so that didn't work too well but i think that in a different group it might be a lot better and could actually be really useful yeah but so that was uh super fun that is the only thing that we have been playing lately Mm -hmm. but you have been playing a lot because you got to go to like a washington pre-event type thing yes i did we had an event at port city brewery the other day and during the event, we I got to play a few games, one of which is the Kenner Spiel des Jahres winner of last year, Quacks of Quidlinburg. Quack, quack, quack. Exactly. You're playing pretty much all of these quack doctors who are selling their potions on the on the market. But, you know, you've got this big cauldron that you're just throwing stuff in and you, you want to put as much stuff into it without it exploding. All right. So the way that it works is that uh, you start with like this little bag black cloth bag that you have a certain combination of ingredients in you have these ingredients that are called cherry bombs and you have four one cherry bombs two two cherry bombs and one three cherry bomb okay 
And pretty much if the value of the cherry bombs in your cauldron at any time equals eight or above, you blew up. All right. And then you also have other things like you can have little green spiders in there. You can have, you know, these other like bird skulls or pumpkins or mushrooms or all these other things like that, uh, each having a different ability when played into your cauldron. Some Mm, of them being like immediate, others being end of round, things like that. And, And these abilities have two different sides so they can change. If you play a green spider and it is either the last or second last one in your cauldron before you say, stop, I'm not going any further, then you will get a ruby as cool. Okay. Yeah. It's just one of the forms of like payment that you can use. Okay. All right. I figured something Mm -hmm. like that. And also you're just trying to go as far as you can around the cauldron. So if you pull out a, a token with a one on it you will go one space next to the last token. Mm -hmm. If you pull a token with a four on it, you will go four spaces past the last token. Interesting, okay. And so like getting these other numbers and things like that are all pretty uh, expensive, like for the higher numbers, because you buy them at the end of each round and like other ones get revealed throughout the game and things like that. Mm. So all in all, you're just trying to do a bag building. So like have the probabilities of just like, you know, what, is in there and like just knowing like you know oh i'm this likely to pull this out this likely to pull this out and that kind of stuff gotcha gotcha so there's just a lot of fun things in there it's a really cool game and i mean it's an award winner exactly uh i'm looking forward to playing it again for sure and then i also got to play a game called modern art yeah i'm curious about this one this is sort of my like (laughs) this is a special interest of mine exactly so pretty much the way that it works is it is a bidding game Pretty much what it is is that you're all running different galleries. And these are real galleries. They actually have like little things of like, uh, like there's a gallery in Sao Paulo. There's the, oh, the nice. famous one in, in Paris. There's the other one in Madrid, London. And so you start with a hand of cards of modern art. And there are five different artists whose paintings you have. Mm-hmm. And whenever it's your turn, you'll sell one of those. And there are five different types of auctions that you can do okay you can do the live auction which is the you know the and this is going for 20 20 20 do i hear 21 do i hear 21 do i hear 22 22 22 over there for the for paris here madrid 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 goes for 23 okay and then next uh and you go that kind of thing right uh you can do a closed auction which is people put money in their hands put in the middle reveal okay so more like bidding for turn order in a lot of other games yep uh you can do a one-time offer auction where pretty much in turn order people will offer you a certain amount for that piece of art but they only get that one offer okay so like the person to my left gives me 25 you give me 26 but then i say no i'm gonna buy this myself for 27 yeah and so i take it okay and the last one is pretty much i name a price Okay, so that's not that's not an auction not really an so auction, much. I guess I mean that's that's the reserve. I guess. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where I name a price, everyone gets a chance in turn order to take it or leave it. If it gets back around to me, I have to use that price and play, pay that to the bank. Okay, all right. So you want to be careful not to say something too outrageously high because then you're or something gonna... that you don't have, for example, in <laughs> your money. Yeah, and, and it's the kind of thing where if another player buys from you, uh, they give you the money and you have that money, and uh, if you buy your own painting it goes back into the bank Mm, okay all right right. and then the point of all this is that the paintings of the artists that sold the most so five paintings came out from that person Mm -hmm. each painting that is out there is worth 30 okay thirty thousand. 
you start with uh, 100,000, so just for a little bit of comparison. Okay. And then, you know, second one is worth 20,000, third one is worth 10,000, and the other two artists are not worth anything that round. Oof. So, you know, be careful what you invest in. You know, if no one's going to be buying those kinds of things, it's a, it's a risky investment, especially first round. Right. There's also actually another one in terms of auctions. You can also do a double auction where you put two of them out together. And uh, it's a special card that like allows you to do that. Gotcha. The other thing that I think is really, really cool about this game is that the prices from previous rounds matter in the next round. Nice. Okay, I love it. So you do get rid of all the pieces that you have in front of you. So mm-hmm. you do start with a blank slate every time. Uh, you get some more cards into your hand and all that. But now if, let's say, the red painter, his paintings were with 20 in the first round. Mm-hmm. And in the second round, he came in first. Like the most paintings that were sold of his own. That means that that round he would get the 30, and now his paintings are each worth 50. Okay. You're accumulating base value mm-hmm. over a number of turns. Interesting. But if that artist in the third round didn't place in the top three, and so he didn't have a token there, mm-hmm. is there still worth zero? Hmm. So they have to be in the top three for them to be worth anything. Right. But it does total up that entire, uh, the worth of every round. Round. Interesting. It has some really, really interesting mechanics in terms of like how all that works and like just the thought process of like, you know, how much can I, you know, sell this at a fixed price for that isn't going to be like, you know, too low. So I still get enough money, but that I won't like have to pay up the nose for it or something like that. Or like the other thing is that each round ends when the fifth painting of any one artist is revealed. Okay. So... It's very, very strategic in that way. So you don't want to be the one who has four of one artist. Because sure. if you don't have the fifth, because no one's going to reveal that fifth one. Right. So you want to like try to distribute, like, you know, maybe still have the most, but like, you know, have at least one or two other people who have that artist and that kind of thing and buy into it. So they also want it to end with that being high. Um, and just being able to control that and like see like where things are going, where things are going to end and things mm-hmm. like that is is really important so Hmm. and that also influences you know how much things go for like you could have an artist that like didn't come out at all but someone just tossed it out the very end that one goes for like five thousand dollars versus like a different piece that from a different artist that has been doing really well it's the fourth round of the game like that one goes for like 60 or 70 thousand dollars right so there's a lot of really cool implications about like you know how much each painting is worth and based on like what the artist was selling for before and that kind of stuff and uh, you know it's, it's also interesting because the artists don't have the equal number of um pieces either oh like cards in the deck yeah oh. so it, it's like uh there's a track from left to right of the artist and the ones leftmost have the priority for any ties so if you know the leftmost and the, and the second leftmost both sold three paintings one of them would be 20 the other one would be 10 right right and so that makes it interesting because like, you know, we had a situation where at the end of the game, someone spent a lot of money on the red artist's piece because it, it had been really, really expensive for the entire game. But that meant that there was already like 10 or 11 pieces of that artist in the discard pile. Mm. So that one didn't actually end up getting scored. Right. Because at that point, there just weren't that many left in the game. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Exactly. It was really cool. I think that it, it's a really fascinating game. And, and they do have, like I think, currently two different themes. One of them is modern art. The other one is a Korean art or some, something like that. Oh, cool. Yeah. So the game all in all is 
quite interesting. And I think that the bidding mechanic, it almost sneaks up on you how much money you will gather throughout this. Sure. Because like, you know, you start with 100,000. It's like, you do see some of the gain in terms of like uh, the paintings getting sold at the end of the round, but it almost doesn't feel as much. Whereas the winner, I think, on on our game ended with like over 500,000. Dang. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, That's some value. Like, I think none of us had less than double what we started with. Hmm. But it's that kind of thing where you have to like decide whether or not you're going to risk buying this painting if you're not sure of this or like, is it worth it to you and that kind of stuff. So it's a very, very interesting type of game. Yeah, it sounds, I mean, obviously a lot of sort of like bluffing and and Mm -hmm. social, uh, maybe not social deduction, but just sort of judging their motivations type stuff. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. And how many players? uh, It plays up to five. Up to five. Yeah. So it's almost like the part in Castle of Mad King Ludwig that we really like about the builder. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that while you were there. So it has that kind of thing, but it also has the different mechanics of how you're going to sell it. And, and it's always fun. I mean, I, I love the kind of thing where I was just like being the auctioneer and just like, you know, <laughs> it's like, all right. And I hear this, 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 uh, and like going around like the different players. Yeah. And it, that also just like adds because like auctions are just a lot of fun in that way. Where it's like, no, I'm going to go one more. I'm going to go one more. <laughs> right. Yeah. You sort of build an actual yeah. like excitement. Exactly. Table. Yeah. Yeah. And then like the whole tension of just like, you know, how much is people are people going to bid or like, ooh, that's a really high price. But is it like too high for me to pay for like, you know, this one painting? Like, because that could be really, really good. But mm, am I going to pay for that? Right. That kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah, it, it's a fun game all in all. Cool. Yeah. I, uh, I look forward to playing it at some point. Yep. And there you have it. That's a look at what we've been playing. Alrighty, now let's jump into our review of Massive Darkness. So first of all, what is Massive Darkness? It is a dungeon calling game where you're pretty much going to try to satisfy some objective in a number of scenarios. And you're all playing different characters that have different classes. And so pretty much an adventuring party going through these dungeons, collecting loot and doing other things, trying to get to the end. Yeah, it's a one to six player game from Simon Dungeon yep. Crawler. So all of this is sounding pretty familiar yep. and we'll be drawing comparisons to Zombicide sort of throughout this review. Mm-hmm. But yeah, overall, it's class based. So yep. you have your character, which determines who your standee is, mm-hmm. as well as some of your like sort of core fundamental skills. You get like two skills from the character itself. Right. But then you have your class, which is actually a tearaway writable sheet mm-hmm. that has much more about what you'll be specializing in, what types of weapons you'll be wanting to use, how you play that character. Yeah. And this is where you track your levels. Yeah, so levels pretty much, they're based on which skills you buy. And uh, you can, at any point, buy the leftmost skill in any row, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you're able to use that is determinant on how far along in the scenario you've gone. So if you buy a second level skill while you're still on the first level tile, you can't use that yet, but you're almost preparing for the next level. Right. And as soon as you cross that threshold, you will have access to that level two skill. Yeah. And then the other thing that you have, of course, is, well, items. Very important in a game like this. Exactly. You start with a few starting items. You have your you know, basic armor, and then you get to choose some other weapons depending on what your class is and what kind of you want to use. And... From there, you will collect all different kinds of items based on chests that are around the dungeon. 
they're usually just inside doors so like you open a door and then things spawn including chests right uh, and as you collect them the items themselves also have levels so usually on a level one tile you're only going to get level one items mm-hmm. what it depends on is what is the highest level tile that anyone in the party has currently stepped on pretty much exactly and so throughout the game you'll be progressing and getting better and better equipment mm-hmm. but also fighting harder and harder monsters because yeah. your level determines the level of the monsters that spawn just like with items these are roughly equivalent so you can have a long sword that's level one you can have a long sword that's level three mm-hmm. you can have goblin archers that are level one you can have goblin archers that are level three they use the same icons images mm-hmm. uh, miniatures yeah but they're just more powerful individually So the Mm -hmm. game sort of steps you up progressively in that way. Exactly. And the cool part is actually that not all of the level one monsters actually do get to all the way level five or four. They they like peter off and like, you know, they'll only go up to level three and then you won't use SDND anymore or anything like that. So you do have a little bit more variety there. Exactly. But now that you have all of your equipment and you're set up pretty much, you will start the game and you start on the board. You build the board based on the scenario and then... When you actually jump into gameplay, it's action-based. So you have three actions per turn, and you use those actions to try to get closer to accomplishing your goal. Pretty standard. So the actions that you can take are, first off, movement. Now, movement is a little bit different here in that rather than saying that you can move a certain number of squares, it says you have two movement points. Mm -hmm. A movement point can be used either to move from one square to another or open a door or collect all the chests on one square exactly so just really streamlining the whole process of moving and interacting with objects that you would encounter all that's just pushed into movement points which is a subset of the movement action yeah and then you have your inventory control type things so you have your trade so you can trade with other people on your on your tile but that does cost an action Mm -hmm. you can also take items and transmute them so if you have three of the same level or three of any level technically you can transmute them into an item that is one level higher than the lowest item transmuted right so it's a good way to just sort of recycle you know maybe you're level three at that point you're still using this whole level one sword you're just like you know what i'm gonna gamble on a better weapon re-roll it you get a level two something Mm -hmm. see what you get well the last thing that you do is of course attack right yeah i mean how could we forget attack so Mm -hmm. Combat in Massive Darkness is much more similar to other dungeon crawlers than Mm -hmm. Zombicide. Rather than rolling a pool of standard D6s, you've got a attack pool formed of red and yellow dice with custom faces. So when you go to attack, you assemble your pool of attack dice, which is uh, up to three red and three yellow dice, each of which has custom faces that show a certain number of hits, along with a certain number of enchantments, which can be either bams or diamonds and are used to activate uh, additional special properties of your items or of your class. Mm-hmm. So you assemble your attack pool, you assemble the defender's defense pool, which is made up of basically equivalent blue and green dice. Mm-hmm. You roll it, and then compare what you've got. So a single shield rolled on defense will counteract one sword on a, uh, attack. Yep. Any attacks that are uncountered after factoring in enchantments and the like, go through and deal damage to the target as wounds. So obviously, once a character's wounds are greater than their hit points, they're dead. Yep, pretty much. And, very importantly for this particular game, you get their loot. Yeah, enemies actually carry loot. 
and they're actually able to use some of this depending on what it is. Pretty much whenever you spawn an enemy card, the guardian on that, which is either the boss of the mob or the agent or the roaming monster, is going to get an equipment card. Uh-huh. And so if that matches one of the things that they can use either for attack or defense, so you know if they get a plate armor, they now have additional defense and things like that, they will use it. And then when you're able to kill them, the person who deals the final blow is the one who gets that loot. Right. So it's very much a what you see is what you get type of gameplay, which is really, really great. So you've got your actions, moving, attacking, all that jazz. Enemies will get to go, move and attack if they can. They follow pretty standard automated line of sight rules, targeting Mm -hmm. rules, things like that. Then you've got events that can turn over. This is mostly how you'll spawn roaming monsters, which are the most powerful, unique type of enemy. They can also have beneficial effects like healing or dealing damage to enemies. Mm Mm-hmm. And then after you've got your events, you reset, you spend your experience, and you do it all over again. Well, technically, experience happens before the event happens. Uh, The first player token moves to the next person uh, clockwise. And yeah, so you keep going until you either lose or win. But you can die, of course, during the scenario. Right. I mean, you've got enemies swarming you, a dragon taking a bite out of you, you know, all that kind of stuff. Standard adventurer perils. Yeah, it, it can kill you. You're lucky, though, because you have a Lifebringer. And this Lifebringer has two charges, pretty much, and can resurrect two adventurers in the scenario. Now, if the third one dies, you're done. Right. Yeah, you've only got so much luck. Exactly. At that point, you lose the scenario. Right. Victory, on the other hand, is uh, scenario-based. You know, Mm -hmm. you might have to kill a specific enemy. You might have to all reach a particular tile. Varies from scenario to scenario you'll be told exactly what it is that you have to do. And that's the rules. There is a special campaign mode, Mm -hmm. which has a few slight variants. Instead of playing the maps completely independently, you know, map Mm -hmm. one, complete reset, map two, you will keep up to six items between each map, Mm -hmm. but your experience gain will be reduced. Basically, you earn experience at about one-fifth the normal rate. Mm -hmm. And so... Instead of, you know, going from level one all the way to level four in a single scenario, you'll go from level one to uh, maybe level two, Mm -hmm. but then you'll start the next scenario at level two with some items, getting level two loot, facing level two enemies, things like that. Mm -hmm. And over the course of a longer period of time, you'll ramp up. So while the characters might not go all the way to like level four in the scenario, the enemies do. Pretty much uh, you have the tiles are still the same. They're still numbered the same. So... If you go, you know, have your level one character go on to the level two, that still means that level two enemies uh, spawn. And since you're using the same maps and everything like that from the base game, nothing's really changed. You will still go up to like level four or level five on each scenario, even if your characters have not leveled up that much. And it really is a double edged sword there because, yeah, you can like really try to like go and like get an ability that's you know a higher level higher level but that means that you're going to start the next scenario with enemies already being stronger right so there's definitely it as you mentioned it's exactly a double-edged sword Mm -hmm. but that's the campaign variant you can also play standard complete resets between games and that's the rules yeah so what's it feel like so i like a lot about this game i think that there are certain things that they made huge strides from from the zombicide rule set absolutely Things like experience, for example. We didn't really mention this, but 
when any guardian is killed, so that's the boss monster, an agent, or a roaming monster, the entire group gets experience. Yep. The same amount of experience, pretty much. And so there's still opportunities for individuals to get experience by themselves, which are like, you know, finishing objectives, killing minions, things like that. But it makes leveling a lot easier and it makes classes that don't do tons of damage still usable. Yeah, the whole thing is just more equitable and it feels better as a party Mm -hmm. so that you don't have, you know, one person necessarily carrying you and everybody else is just level one. Yeah, exactly. And then the other really cool thing I think is that the items and abilities and monsters all scale throughout the game. And I really like this because in Zombicide and other games like it, like a lot of times you'll just have a giant stack of cards that are like the items and the item that you want is probably going to be in the lower third, if not <laughs> the last item. Murphy's law. Exactly. So instead of having to dig through all this, you will like get level one items and that's a much smaller stack and there's going to be a little bit of everything for everyone there. Uh, and then you get to level two and then you get level two items and that kind of stuff. And the item gain is also limited. So you can't just really farm things because there are only so many chests that are going to come out. Yeah. They come out when you open a door and either spawn monsters, add chests and all that kind of stuff. So that just makes it a lot more interesting. And I think a lot more uh, graduated when you're actually playing because you will be scaling up with the enemies and that kind of stuff. And also add some really interesting choices because like there, there are like a certain number of chests out on like the level two tile, but we have a friend of ours who's like right there on like almost about to step on the level three tile. Do we let him step on that so that the the chest then will get level three loot, or are we too afraid of the monster that's going to come out at some point and wreck our shit if we're only this level? Everything about inventory management and item acquisition mm-hmm. to sort of graduated difficulty both in terms of you know the equipment and the enemies that you're facing it almost feels like a perfect solution to some of the issues that we raised when we talked about how no game is perfect with regard to zombicide yeah so it's really refreshing to see that i think it does wonders for gameplay for me one of the most interesting things is the sort of emergent gameplay that you mentioned Mm -hmm. of guardians having loot items yeah so you know we mentioned that the dice pools are formed in very specific configurations. You cannot have more than three blue and three green on defense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, while you might say that, oh, an item that gives two blue dice, which are the the lesser of the two defense dice, mm-hmm. isn't really that great. But when it's placed onto an enemy that already has an innate three green for defense, yep. now suddenly you have an enemy that's rolling like 80% of the entire defense die pool. Yeah. And you're like, well, crap, you know, this is greater than the sum of its parts like Mm -hmm. this is through no planning through no sort of scripted sequence an enemy that is really powerful and really epic when you finally take it down so Mm -hmm. that's a a, it's a really satisfying aspect of gameplay and i think it's a really interesting yeah and i think that that goes also for player items because there are some items that uh, are lower level that could still really synergize well with what you have on a higher level item it's not just that the items uh, are strictly better every time because you might get an item that gives you more red dice, but you're already full, so you can't really use anymore. So you're going to keep this lower level item that gives you more yellow dice, which are the lower levels, just so that you can roll more things. And I think that that just adds a really fun aspect of like, yeah, this is a lower level item, but it's still really good for me right now. Like 
still really useful. Like nothing is like almost uh, there. There are some things that are just going to be fully like replaced. Like for example, plate armor level one versus plate armor level five. There's no question. Right, you're going to go for one over the other. Yeah, but overall, strictly better mm-hmm. is not a very common term when you're looking at advancement in this game. Yeah, exactly. That said, though, no game is perfect, including this one. Uh, and I think one of our biggest gripes has probably been pretty evident uh, in our streams. Yep. Which is that the campaign mode is just poorly calibrated. Yeah, pretty much. Even though you're gaining experience at one-fifth the rate, experience gain is still pretty high in any given scenario. So we got to, I think, full power within the first four scenarios or something like that, Mm -hmm. where we were at level five. Some people had artifacts already, which are these uber-powerful items. Most people had artifacts. Yeah, exactly. And... At that point, we didn't really have any place to go. Right. And it just became like everyone was completely optimized. We were going through and it was just like, oh, this mob comes out. Literally one person is going to kill this entire mob on their turn using their three actions. Sometimes with only one action. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So the whole thing was just trivially easy, Mm -hmm. less than halfway through the 10 scenarios in the base game, Yep. which, you know, it's hard to make a game that functions well both in a campaign mode sort of thing where you have slower permanent progression and in Mm -hmm. a more isolated format. And I think that was just, they were overly ambitious in trying to, what's the phrase, uh, square a circle. Yeah. Something along those lines. So, yeah, I think that like individually the, uh, the scenarios work themselves, but like if you go in the story mode, it just falls apart. Yeah. The other thing that I'll say is that, well, massive darkness comes with, a ton of really awesome monsters and miniatures that are really, really cool and, and fun to fight against and all that kind of stuff, but they don't use them well enough. Yeah. Pretty much the only way to spawn a roaming monster in the game itself is either a scenario specific event happening or a random event happening from the draw pile. Mm-hmm. So you can play in an entire scenario, maybe seeing one sometimes two roaming monsters especially because you can only have one out at a time right and to me i think that that is just not worth it in terms of like you've got all these really really cool monsters and minis and things like that and now you're not gonna use them right that's it seems like such a missed opportunity because these are you know they're prominently featured on the box they're Mm -hmm. awesome they're super cool they're super interesting mechanically as yeah. well as visually mm-hmm. um so to not take full advantage of them seems like such a waste exactly so like a, a solution that i think that would work in this case would be to almost mix them into the monsters and have them appear when you open a door because who wouldn't like something like like oh i just kicked down a door and i'm staring in the face of an etten or something like that that just sounds like a lot of fun like to me that's just like an interesting thing like uh oh, what are we going to deal? How are we going to deal with this pro- uh, problem rather than it spawning on a spawn point that is in the middle of a hallway at a random time during an event phase? Right. So it would definitely need a little bit more calibration because these monsters can be very powerful. And so they are more powerful than mobs and things like that. But I think that calibration would be worth it because it would just be a, a better game all in all. All right. Certainly more interesting. Yeah. And then finally, we mentioned that, you know, the changes to the way that you gain experience, making it more communal, certainly helps with sort of the hyper carry problem. Yep. But you do still have some classes that are just strictly 
more powerful than others. You know, you mentioned the character that we had in our campaign who would just point at someone and they would, the entire mob would disappear. Yeah. And we had other people whose entire benefit that they Mm -hmm. brought to the party was the ability to give that other player more actions. Yeah. So the fact that you have characters who are really, really, really powerful and characters who are useful but less powerful is just sort of dissatisfying to certain players at the table. Yep. You know, full acknowledgement, we were playing with like 18 different expansions. Yeah. Uh, we had a whole bunch of post-core game add-ons, expansions. Pretty much everything you could get from the Kickstarter. Right. So, you know, I'm fully prepared to admit that the base game was probably more carefully balanced yeah. um, in terms of relative power level, relative utility, things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's just so impossible to balance when you have so many new things mm-hmm. that get added. Yeah, pretty much. That all being said, uh, let's go ahead and jump into our ratings. So we rate games on a scale of skip it, play it, buy it, with a burn it rating being for games that we don't think should ever have existed and a top shelf uh, rating for games that we don't think any gamer should be without. So, Greg, what are your thoughts on the game? I like it well enough. Uh, I think it's a, a solid play it for me. Like I said, this almost seems perfectly tailored to respond to a lot of the gripes that I had about Zombicide, yep. which was a game that I did have fun with at first. So this, the change that they made, the more satisfying item acquisition, the more interesting enemies. Mm-hmm. I think all in all, it's fun to play. I wouldn't play the campaign mode because you do just get overpowered way too quickly, yep. but definitely give some of the base scenarios a shot. The classes, even the base classes are really interesting. They're really flavorful and evocative. Yep. And even just with the core box, I think you could have a lot of fun with it. I agree. I think that I, I'd also give it a very solid play it. It's a lot of fun when you're playing the scenario mode. Avoid the story mode. It just is not balanced well. But if you're playing the scenario mode, there's a lot to this game. They've improved so many things that were issues in Zombicide and their previous uh, dungeon crawler games pretty much so i definitely like a lot of the things that they did the items that come out gradually based on level the enemies scaling rather than just adding more mobs and things like that and the roaming monsters are just really friggin cool so all in all i think it's a fun game you should check it out if you like dungeon crawlers Speaking of Dungeon Crawlers, uh, as usual, we're going to talk about a couple of games that we think are uh, pretty similar to this. If you like them, you like this, and vice versa. First is Imperial Assault and or Descent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those two are basically carbon copies of each other with just slightly different themes. You know, with Imperial Assault, obviously, you've got Star Wars. Descent is a more sort of standard dark fantasy. Very, very similar to Massive Darkness. I think if you're looking for a different theme, fantasy theme... Go for Massive Darkness if you're coming from Imperial Assault. And I think when compared to a game like Descent, Massive Darkness just has a few of those extra little things. You know, you've got the monsters that have their equipment. You've got a few extra unique flavorful things. So if you're looking to move on from that, check this one out. Also, Massive Darkness doesn't need a GM, whereas Descent and Imperial Assault both do have a player playing as the enemy. So if you don't have that or don't want to have anyone who wants to do that, Massive Darkness is a really good alternative. Right, fully co-op. Otherwise, another fully co-op game, which is also a dungeon crawl, and one that we've talked about a decent amount on this podcast, and you've probably heard of. It's this little game, you know, very little game, called Gloomhaven. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, it's very indie. 
Yeah. You know, no one's ever heard of it. Uh, I'm surprised if you, if you did. Gloomhaven, I think, probably implements the dungeon crawl mechanic in one of the most satisfying ways, in my opinion, just based on uh, a lot of the time pressure that's there, the way enemies work and things like that, scaling and other things. It's just really well done. And if you like dungeon crawlers, if you like Massive Darkness, definitely check Gloomhaven out. It's definitely a game worthy of the investment. All right. And there you have it. That's our review of Massive Darkness. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, huge thank you to our Patreon supporters and our Twitch subscribers. We really couldn't do what we do without your support. Particular thanks to our Greater Weirm patrons. They support us at the highest level on Patreon and will get several votes in the upcoming Listener's Choice poll to determine our monthly review. So That's up right now, so if you're interested in that, definitely pledge on Patreon right now. Right. And for those of you who have already pledged, go check your emails. Yes. Um, but right, Greater Weirm patrons, huge thank you to Casey, Carissa, Meg, Hunter, and Sam. We appreciate all that you do. Also, huge thank you to our Tier 3 Twitch subscriber, Adam Crossberg, for being, you know, just a rock star, longtime supporter of the podcast. Thank you so much. Also, don't forget, WashingCon tickets are on sale now over at WashingCon.com. If you get them right now, they're $50 for a weekend adult pass or $20 for a weekend child pass. That is a discount from what they'll be at the door. And if you go and use the promo code DRAGON, you'll get an extra 10% off. So head on over there, you'll be able to enter that code and get yourself tickets for, I guess that works out to $45. There you go. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode of Dragon's Demise.